0: Are you, like me, have lots of stuff in your Bible that always falls out when you're turning it? Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read today from verses 1 through 14. And as always, they'll be projected behind me in case you don't have your Bible with you. And the Word of God says, Now, when Simbalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted off from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half a tight, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sinbala and Tobiah, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that we were repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling. There is too much trouble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes." That's today's scripture reading for today, Nehemiah chapter 4. You may be seated. And welcome to Good News Bible Church. We are so glad to... We never lost a game
1: until the championship. Until then, totally undefeated. It's just been a few years, but I can still remember those practices during August. In Alabama, the temperature hardly got down below 90-something, maybe 100 in those last two weeks before the initial first game, we practiced twice a day, usually from 6 or 7 in the morning to 9, and then from 3 to 5. The philosophy back then was you've got to be tough, you don't need water. Well, as we went through those processes, the, the mindset was first, we focus on getting the basics down. You've got to know the basics. And from there, we began learning our plays and where we uh, we went, what we did on each play. It was getting the the, the timing down for the team as we ran different plays. It was a teamwork effort. But once we had the basics down, once we were together, we began to focus on our opponents, on those enemies that we would be playing. We had scouts that would go out they would come back with all the key plays that these teams played. And if we were lucky enough, we would get a film of previous games that they played. And I remember so well them stopping, the coaches would stop and say, you, look at this, and they point out where we need to go. They were looking at the various things and pointing out, each of us observing what we need to be doing it was our desire to know the game plan for our opponent, to know their plays, to know their offense, to know their defense, to know their special plays, so that we could outwit and eventually outplay and win that game. If we were just to look at chapter 3 of Nehemiah, one might think, well, there was no opposition there. They began work, and the impression is that the wall would go up without any kind of opposition. But today, as we look at chapter 4, we'll see the spiritual opposition and the problems that arose as Nehemiah and the Jewish people worked to rebuild those walls. We'll see that there's always opposition, always opposition, when we're doing the work of the Lord. Nehemiah's troubles seemed to become just intense once everything began moving. Those earlier tensions were kind of dwarfed in comparison to the fierce opposition. Nehemiah may have thought, why am I receiving all this opposition? I'm doing God's work. I came from Susa, 800 miles. And I'm facing this? But we need to know that when we do God's work, we will face Opposition—it It is unavoidable. Well, how did Nehemiah respond to opposition? I think as we look, as we observe what he went through and how he responded, we see how we, too, should respond when we face it. Well, initially, Nehemiah faced the opposition of three leaders. We've already seen Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom. We learned earlier that Sanballat and Tobiah were very disturbed when they heard that someone was coming to Jerusalem, concerned for the welfare of the Jews. And then that later on in chapter 2, that all three mocked and ridiculed the rebuilding of the walls, and they began to accuse the Jews of wanting to rebel against the king. We see this part continuing on in the chapter today. Let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3. When Samballot first heard that they were building the walls, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, And what they're building. If a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Who are these men that are being used by Satan, the opposition? Satan's name is Babylonian. Years later, his daughter married the high priest's daughter. The sources tell us that Sanballat was governor 38 years after Nehemiah had come. So he was entrenched in power. His two sons had Jewish names that celebrated Yahweh, so undoubtedly he was a non-Jew married to a Jewish woman. He was probably motivated by power and profit and pleasure. He was concerned in his opposition that his economic interests and his political power be preserved. Tobiah is identified as an Ammonite official or the Ammonite servant. This doesn't mean, however, that he was Ammonite. It means that he served the Persian government in that area. Tobiah is a Jewish name, meaning Yahweh is good. He had married into an influential Jewish family that gave him links to the Jewish top people, including the high priest. His son had married into Israel's aristocracy. And we'll see later on, I believe in chapters 6 and 7, we'll see that the people there in Jerusalem, the Jews, saw Tobiah as one of them. He was hard-nosed, hard-headed, and set in his ways. Gessen, the Arab, may have been more powerful than either of these two men. He, along with his son, ruled a coalition of Arabian tribes which controlled Moab and Edom, along with parts of Arabia, and the entrances into Egypt. But Nehemiah knew his opposition. If you remember in chapter 2, when he came through, he, they were questioning him, and he responded to them. He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper. We will arise and build, but you have no portion, or right, or claim to Jerusalem. Nehemiah's real enemy was Satan. Prowling behind the human opponents, the critics, the grumblers, we should remember that Satan is our adversary also. He's a slanderer and a liar, a murderer, who prowls around, oftentimes using human agents, seeking to devour. Satan uses the world's systems and values. He uses human agents to accomplish his purposes. He uses our sinful desires, sinful flesh, to entice us to oppose God. But ultimately, ultimately, Satan is our adversary. These three men formed the coalition against God's project there in Jerusalem. They possibly, possibly didn't realize that they were seeking to challenge God. We don't know. It it, it seemed like they did. We see that today in our culture, that some who fight against biblical imperatives may feel like they're doing God's work. Just last week, when Chris and I were headed to Cedar Rapids, we had the radio on a secular station, and they shared how a group of mainline denominational pastors, along with a secular uh, leftist group, had joined together, and they were, they were boycotting Hobby Lobby to provide contraceptives for its employees. The truth is that Hobby Lobby provided 16 out of 20 contraceptives already. The four that weren't provided, that were required by the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, were actually abortion-causing drugs or devices. And the owners of the company did not want to do that. But here these pastors were, boycotting, telling Hobby Lobby to provide contraceptives. And yet, they were doing it. You see, too often, in the midst of life, we can be tools of Satan— the Tobias and sand ballots of today are at times tragic. They're useful tools for Satan. And the scary thing is is that you and I can be deceived. We can be lied to. We can be uh, unassumingly joining in. Well, see, first we then we know we need to know our opposition. We need to know his playbook. We need to know his game plan. We need to know... The schemes. Satan has a game plan, just as Sweetwater Bulldogs and any football team or any soccer team, as we look today at the World Cup, everybody has a plan. And Satan, you can be sure, has a plan. He has a game plan against us. We need to know opposition when you know Satan's plans and schemes. When Sam Ballard had heard, they were rebuilding the wall. We read earlier that he was angry, and he was greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And then he began to ask these series of questions, each of them magnifying the Jews' problems and seeking to undermine their confidence. First, he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? The word feeble, I looked it up, it means withering, miserable. He was ridiculing them. Today, we might hear something along the lines of, You're incompetent. you incompetent, intellig- you unintelligent people. Second question he asked was, will they restore it for themselves? He mocked their work and their ability. Today, we might hear within our own mind, as we talk to ourselves, or from someone else, your ministry doesn't make any difference. Third Will they, make, will they sacrifice? Again, scorning their faith, I believe, here. Today, we might hear someone scorn our faith by saying, Do you really believe in this Jesus stuff? Do you really believe that Bible? Fourth question that Sam Ballard asked in front of the Samaritan army and in, in, in hearing of the Jews was, Will they finish in a day? Will they finish in a day? He really their commitment. Today we might hear, uh, ah, this too will fade. This will fade. It won't last long. You'll give in. Finally, he said, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Well, the truth is, the stones weren't burned, they were pushed over. It was the gates that were burned. So, in reality, as he ridiculed, he wasn't being honest. Well, Tobiah was there next to him, and he joined in with Sinballat, with ridicule, demeaning the uppers. And he says, yes, and what are they building? What are they building? If a fox goes upon it, he'll break it down. And the truth is, excavation if work has been done on that wall. That wall that they built... It's nine feet thick. Nine feet. That wall wasn't going to fall. But do you see how Satan will use human agents to discourage us, to stop us from doing what God calls us to do? Their goal all along was discouraging, using anger and mockery, contempt, sarcasm, in each of Sen ballots, questions were jabs, jabs at the builders' morale. No one, no one likes to be told that you're a pig-headed fool. Morale is challenged in the deepest way when we hear things like that, where people make fun of us, or if we hear that others—they're telling others how utterly stupid we are. Today we may not hear it just like that, but I know from talking, interacting with high school students and with, with college students, university students, that our students are continually hearing how outrageous it is to believe in the Bible or to believe in God. And as professors speak from their podiums on campuses, evangelicals are seen as this pitiful group of people and we're seeing sometimes as hateful because of our views on sex and that it's for marriage. And we're seeing sometimes as opposing women because we believe that abortion is the ending of life. And yet the truth is, is we offer hope for everyone because in the midst of life, there's a burden that we carry because of sin my prayer is, is that we, as we interact with these people who are bitter and who are angry, we can respond in love so they can begin to see that we're not these pitiful people, but we offer hope and freedom from a burden of sin. What well, we saw last week as Pastor Kerry preached that Nehemiah had organized teams rebuild, probably over 40 teams, and the people were excited and they said, let's rise up and build. And when Sam Ballot heard that, he wanted to cause depression and hopelessness and despair. He was hitting hard at where they were and where we are at times in our lives, that insecurity, that self-doubt, that fear of failure we sometimes face as we go through life. Well, what was Nehemiah's response to this ridicule and contempt? Nehemiah himself, as I think about it, may very well have had questions himself. As he faced this intense opposition, he may have said, Did I miss God's calling? Did I come all the way from Susa, 800 miles? Was I wrong? I'm sure this he prayed the sense that he was doing the right thing. But we see his response in, in verse 4. We see first he prays and it says that he continued to build. Let's look at that prayer in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, or let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Okay, let's be honest. This isn't our typical prayer, is it? This is not the way we typically pray. It was pretty tough. We see he acknowledged that they were despised he asked two things. He asked that God would counter the efforts of the insults, the ridicule, the mocking, that God would strengthen his people. And then he asked God to judge his own enemies. Nehemiah was honest as he went to God. The trio had despised the Israelites, he ridiculed them. He doesn't hold back his anger that he feels toward them. But I think as we go to God in prayer, that He, if we listen, He shows us our hearts, and He tells us to deal with the issues we need to deal with. Nehemiah's enemies had sinned against God by opposing God's word, and this is what caused Nehemiah to be angry at them. Sometimes, I think, maybe we fail to be angry enough to go to God about some of the enemies that God has today. C.S. Lewis, in an interesting quote here, says, The absence of anger is a most alarming symptom, and the presence of indignation may be a good one. I know this sometimes goes against our thoughts, but Jesus was angry with the money changers and with their racket and he was pretty tough on those loveless Pharisees and Paul mentions that there's an anger that's not sinful In your anger do not sin in the right context anger needs to be expressed in the right context in the right way it's easy for us to turn that anger in to suppress it, to hold it in, pin up inside us, and when we do that, if, it, if it's allowed to fester, we can damage ourselves, and it can control our lives, and we can become the offender because we don't deal with the anger. Ephesians four twenty-six reminds us to deal with with anger soon. Don't let the sun go down. On your anger. Don't let anger control you. It's a decision that we make every night. I'll still never forget. It's been over 30 years since Chris and I were married. But I still remember the first night when I went to bed and I was angry at Chris. How dare I? Right? Amen. But as I lied there, when my back turned to Chris... The Spirit of God was speaking to me, and he was saying, Ralph, you're wrong. You're wrong. Deal with your anger. Deal with it. And I did. I turned back around, and I held it. I'm so thankful. It's so easy for us to build into our lives patterns that are unbiblical, unbiblical, God wants us to deal with anger in a godly way. This prayer that Nehemiah prayed—it it goes against some of those passages that we know, like Luke six twenty-seven and twenty-eight. Love your enemy and pray for them. The truth is that we know that Christ spoke in His day of the fact that in the end time, that non-believers will be removed from His presence. Into endless misery in all uh, in all those who, who who do not trust him. Matthew twenty four fifty one reads: there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew twenty five, Christ says to the to the believers, Come, you're blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. And to non-believers, he says, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil, and for demons. Well, I think that as Nehemiah prayed here in his protection, his desire for God's glory, that he was calling on God to conquer his enemies, he asked God to do justice to their sin. And justice might lead to repentance, but Nehemiah didn't say that. Well, after the prayer We see the second thing that Nehemiah did, verse 6, says that he continued to rebuild. So we rebuilt the wall. All the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. In the midst of this continued opposition, this warfare, they continued to build with the wall reaching half its height. That's a major milestone. The people had a mind to work. Earlier, if you remember, when first confronted, Nehemiah had responded to his opposition. Not this time. Not this time. No. He didn't allow their ridicule to stop him or distract him from the task that he was doing. You and I, too, cannot allow distractions to keep us from following God's plans for our lives. It's easy when people hurt us deeply to hold on to it, allowing that anger to turn to bitterness. We give Satan a foothold where he can launch additional attacks. How should you and I respond to ridicule? With prayer, as Nehemiah did, allowing God to fight I will fight for us. Are you? Am I? Are we listening to God? Or are we listening to God's enemies? What well, we see in this passage, these verses, the first scheme of Satan, his first game plan, is verbal abuse, ridicule, scorn, mockery. We see a second type of threat in verses 7 and 8. When ridicule didn't work, the trio changed their tactics. Verse 7 reads, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. If you look at that passage, we see that the opposition is growing. The Jews are surrounded. Sanballat in Samira to the north, Tobiah and his Ammonites to the east, Geshen and the Arabs to the south, Ashkad, which is Philistines, to the west. It says verse eight, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion. They moved toward a subtle sometimes, but sometimes very overt. Threat of violence. Satan's second scheme. When Nehemiah's response to the threats, what was his response to these threats? Verse 9 says, We pray to our God. We pray to our God. And secondly, he set a guard up as protection against them day and night. Satan's attacks are real and they're well planned. Are you and I sober? Are we on guard? Are we alert? Do we pray for God's protection, for His wisdom? Proverbs four twenty three says, "Guard your heart, guard your heart, above all else, for it determines the course of your life." Guard your heart. How many of us, at different times, have, because of the Spirit of God, showing us, realize that our hearts have become cold and hard. God warns us, guard your heart, because your heart gives direction to your life. we see in verses 10 through 12, negative reports and fear are used against the Jews. Verse 10 reads, And then the people of Judah, and I'm reading here, I think, numbering from new living translation then the people of judah began to complain the workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved we will never be able to build that wall by ourselves do you hear the grumbling there we can't do it let's quit meanwhile our enemies are saying before they know it before they know what's happening we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again. I think DSV says ten times, but it really means over and over and over. The Jews who are living out by these enemies are coming and saying, they're coming from all directions and they're going to attack us. I love how the message translates verse 10. It says, but soon word was going around Judah, The builders are pooped. They're pooped. They're tired. The rubbish piles up. And we're in over our heads. And we can't rebuild this wall. We're exhausted. We're tired. We can't go on. Look at that pile of rubbish. It's getting bigger. We see Satan's third scheme personal discouragement he used a variety of things to discourage them. First was the exhaustion. They were exhausted. They were tired because they worked hard. Just the immensity of the project probably was overbearing on them. The loss of vision. You remember first, they were excited. They worked hard. They were tired. They were dog tired. Instead of seeing... they'd accomplished, they began to see what they needed to accomplish. That can happen to us, can't it? We, We fail to look and see what God has done through us. We see that big pile of work that needs to be done. Not only was there loss of vision, there was loss of security. Can you imagine living under the threat of death? And then finally, loss of confidence. They've been excited, but once they were exhausted, once they have lost their vision, they lost their confidence. Well, pressure from without can often create problems within. We've seen on TV various times when there are issues with politicians that come up. Sometimes we hear later on that their marriages were having problems, and sometimes they divorce because pressure from outside sometimes leads to pressure from within. I think back to the nation of Israel as they was getting ready to go into the promised land. They sent out the twelve spies, remember? Ten came back. They said, we cannot compete with these people. They're giants. They're giants. And we're grasshoppers. Remember? They remained outside the promised land for forty years. Because they didn't factor in God. When we're tired and when we're ready to quit, remember Isaiah forty twenty nine. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. That hits most of us, right? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Lord Wellington said after his victory over Napoleon at Waterloo, he says, Our men are not braver than the enemy, They were brave five minutes longer. I like that. Five minutes longer. Well, how do you and I handle opposition and pressure? Do we want to give up? If we're honest, sometimes we do. Or we can grumble and complain like the Jewish people there did outside of Jerusalem. They complained about their lack of strength, about their work conditions, just wanted to quit. The task hadn't changed. They're still the same, but their focus had changed. It was no longer on God. The question for us is, do we grumble and complain, or do we ask God for strength, to endure, to do the things he calls us to do? Another question, if we think about these These Jews who were used by Satan to spread rumors, do our words strengthen or weaken the body of Christ? Well, we've seen verbal attacks, the ridicule, the scorn, the the mocking. We've seen the threats of physical uh, violence. We've seen now the personal discouragement. But we'll see at least one more scheme that Satan used. Verse 11, again we read, Our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come upon among them and kill them and stop the work. The Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us again and again, They will come from all directions to attack us. See, Sanballat didn't give up easily. Because Satan is cunning. Sam Ballat was a cunning foe. We see this from the various forms of attack. This time he spread rumors among the Jews who were living there outside the, the town that Jerusalem would be attacked and that the workers would be killed. And these rumors were intended to frighten the workers so they would stop Satan's fourth scheme, Fear. Fear, fear of failure, fear we can't do the job, fear to go overseas, the rural Jews' assurance that there was no way that they could finish the wall, there's no way to avoid the attack, it was demoralizing, it was depressing, and it was always passed on second-hand. The enemy spread the rumors to frighten people. He wanted to distract them from the work. Nehemiah wasn't afraid of the enemy, but he could see that the rumors were taking its effect. The people were scared. They were scared. Well, when it comes to rumors, I don't think that you and I hear rumors of threats or violence, but too often we hear rumors Instead of going to individuals to deal with, with issues, people go to, to others. Whether well, it's a personal issue or just gossip. I often ask people what they've gone to that person first. When we hear gossip, we should always nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. I know it's easy sometimes for us just to spread, to pass on something but rumors rumors destroy and rumors divide. Occasionally I hear individuals are going to other people with concerns about the church. I have decisions that are made. It's easy to take someone out and talk to them. Or it's easy just to pass on, well, I, I heard this. And, and and so often there's shades of truth to what's being said. Sometimes they don't have all the information. Sometimes they have a wrong perspective about what was done and why it was done or why decisions were made. It's so important that we talk through things. Just this week, Thursday, I believe it was, I met with a young man who came in and he had concerns, but he had some great ideas. He was very positive about things we could do. I said, Man, send me an email with all these things. I want to put them in place. Meeting with someone tomorrow will come to me with concerns and ideas. But let's go to the right source. Because rumors destroy, rumors divide. I think the last thing that we want to do is to be used by Satan to divide. Well, how did Nehemiah respond to these fear-causing threats? We'll see that he went to work again, and he also prepared for war. Verse 13 says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the walls, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. When the rumors of violence continued, Nehemiah first armed his people. He gave them the weapons they needed to protect themselves. They were warriors as well as workers. And if we know who we are, we too are to be warriors. But our tools aren't, our weapons though, aren't the weapons of the world. But they're spiritual as we go to God in prayer. We would always be working now. So Nehemiah first armed him. And secondly, he arranged his people to work on the walls by family, by clans, by close connection. Because there's something about working and protecting your family, those you love. Thirdly, he reminded them of the Lord, who is great and awesome. Don't be afraid of them, he said. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And we too must do the same. Verse 20, he says, he reminded them that God will fight for them. We too need to remember whoever God is a great and awesome God. A powerful God. A God who is able and will fight for us as we look to him. And there again will be times when we feel like quitting, but we dare not quit because we know that he is our strength and he is our provider. Well, fourth, as he went through this whole thing with the rumors, he was vigilant. He kept his eyes on his enemy. He was aware of the game plan. He divided his people into two groups. One group Building, one group, guarding. In addition to that, each builder, it says, in verse 18, that he carried a sword strapped to their side. Verse 21 says, we worked from sunrise to sunset. He increased the pace. Nehemiah and his family and his, his associates were... Examples, verse 23 says, during this time, none of us, not my relatives, my servants, my guards, ever took our clothes off. Okay, that may have smelled a little bit. But, it shows you the commitment of Nehemiah. You know, he could have said, I'm the governor. I'm the man in charge. My guards, my family, we hey. But no, he was there. He was there. They didn't even take their clothes off, even when they went for water. Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Remember, as we go through life, when life beats us down, don't give up. Don't give up. Because God is our strength. He is an awesome and powerful God. Well, we see Satan used human agents against Nehemiah in the workforce. Nehemiah was doing God's work. We see that Satan used these tools, these people, these human agents. He had a game plan. Just like when I played football in high school. We had a plan. Satan has a plan. If one scheme doesn't work, he's got another one. First, he used ridicule. He ridiculed the workers, their work, their faith. Nehemiah responded by praying and working. He trusted in God to vindicate. Second scheme was physical threats. The enemy rallied an army against the Jews. Nehemiah responded by praying and watching. He trusted God again. Third scheme, discouragement. This was an inside job. The tribe of Judah threw their eyes off the Lord. They believed the enemy's lies. Fourth was fear. The enemy spread rumors to frighten his people. He wanted to distract them from their task. Nehemiah responded by stationing soldiers at strategic places, reminding the people of the Lord, reminding them that it's God who will work for them. They became workers as well as warriors. Nehemiah's response to all these schemes was prayer, work, vigilance against the opposition and his schemes, focus on the Lord. That should be yours, that should be mine. We need to be praying. Our first response typically is not prayer. We need to be praying. We need to continue working in the midst of opposition. We need to be vigilant against Satan and his tactics. He loves to deceive. He loves to lie. We need to focus. Focus on our Lord. Focus that he is an awesome God. That he, he's the one who fights for us. As we see his greatness and his strengths... The problems become smaller. As I finish up, I think one thing that hit me as I went through this was, do I live for a cause greater than myself? Do you, do we as a church, do we live for a cause greater than ourselves? And you know, are you, and I, or we, together as a congregation, are we willing to lay down our lives for those that we love? In the midst of life, filled with opposition, filled with the schemes of Satan, when we hear ridicule, when we, when we have threats and discouragement and fear, do we fix our minds on Christ instead of... The opposition instead of the problem. First Peter five verses eight and nine reminds us, says, Stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. We face opposition. We face a cunning opponent. He has a game plan. He watches us. He knows our movements. He has schemes, plenty of schemes to deceive. But remember, we serve an awesome God and He fights force as we look to Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, We thank you for this book of Nehemiah. We thank you, Father.